I'm old. Not yet. <laughs> I think Richard knew that he was going to be gone and Lynn was going to be gone today, so he wanted at least one tall man in the stand. <laughs> Got you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Uh, this is about as close as I'll ever get to singing in the choir. <laughs> my wife said to our oldest son, my wife's here today, and uh, our oldest son, Walt, his wife is here with us, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But my wife said to Walt one day, said, Walt, stand beside your father so he can hear you sing and maybe he can stay on key. <laughs> Walt looked at his mother and said, you can't sing and laugh at the same time. <laughs> so this is about as close I'll ever be to the choir, I guess, but that's okay. I mean, we've got some great, great choir members in this church and great music, and uh, I'm grateful for it. But I'm glad to be here. One prior, do we have any teachers or school administrators or educators in here? We have a few, Emily. Hey, school starts, most of the teachers probably start tomorrow. Folks, if we ever need to pray for a group of people, we need to pray for our teachers. Amen. I'm telling you, that's one of the most critical and most underpaid careers there are in America. So they have a tremendous responsibility, and I sure am glad I'm not one of them. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jay Overbay. I guess for those of you who do know me, I'm Jay Overbay. But anyway, <laughs> I, I try to be the same person about everywhere I go. My claim to fame in this church is my children. Uh, Esther Dennis is our daughter in the children's department. Our son Walt's down there with her doing a lot of crazy stuff and I think innovative stuff for children's education in church. And, uh, our son Lewis and his family member here, and I'm so proud, and I know this, I'm going to refer to this again in a minute. Uh, two of my grandchildren play in the praise band for the high school group. Our son Walt's son Jay is the drummer, and one of our twin grandsons, Connor, is a guitar player. So they got all my music ability. <laughs> Thank you for the piano, it's beautiful. I appreciate that. Thank you, that was great. When uh, Richard called, and, I, and incidentally, I don't have a watch. I have a phone, and I tried to turn it off, but if it rings, it's just my parole officer, so don't pay <laughs> uh, I was told that you better quit on time or they'll run you out. So I brought my wonderful wife today, and uh, she has promised if I go too long, she's standing up. <laughs> and that'll be my cue to shut up. <laughs> Talking about assisted living, Jim, I've been living in assisted living for 51 and a half, almost 52 years now. <laughs> if it weren't for my wife assisting me, I'd be in the street, I'll tell you that. <laughs> anyway, when Richard called and asked me, I said, well, I don't know, that's a pretty big class, Richard. And he said, oh, they're good folks. And I said, oh, okay. And so at that time, I began to start praying. I said, now, Lord, what is it these folks need to hear? That What, what can you... Uh, uh, tell me I need to talk about because Richard already said don't touch 1st Peter and 2nd Peter <laughs> that's what I was going to talk about <laughs> no. 
He said, don't, don't do any of that because I'm in there. And I said, well, okay, I'll try to find something else. And so I kept thinking, now, Lord, what, what should I talk? What should we talk about these few minutes we have together? And then I got to thinking about school start. We don't have but eight grandkids, and so they're all in school. And uh, we have about uh, six in high school. That's, that's a tough, tough time, folks. Uh, two in middle school. That's even tougher. <laughs> Uh, so I got to thinking about it, and a verse came to my mind, and, uh, and the way I remembered the verse was, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needed not. Do y'all, y'all remember that verse, study? So I got to looking in my Bible, and incidentally, th- th- this Bible I have here, it looks new. It's a Bible that was given to me in April of 1967 when I was ordained. And for some of you old timers who remember that far back, Dr. Archie Ellis, who was pastor of this church, came to that little mountain church up in Virginia to preach my ordination service. Now, this Bible has been rebound I don't know how many times. I was told at my first church at Montezuma, North Carolina, at Hawaii Seminary, preacher doesn't matter what translation you use when you get in the pulpit, just make sure it's black. <laughs> so for all these years, I've carried a black Bible wherever I've gone, the speaker be in the pulpit. But anyway, I started looking in my Bible for that study to show yourself approved unto God. And this is Revised Standard Version, which I've used 99.9% of the time. Well, I couldn't find study to show thyself approved, so I found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, do your best to present yourself to God. I kept looking and I realized that what I had remembered was the King James Version translation of that, which does indeed say, study to show yourself approved. So, as I'm prone to do, I read that, do your best, and then I kept reading, kept reading, and I came across a passage of Scripture down several verses later that I said, I know I've read those, but mercy, that's powerful. It reached out and literally grabbed a hold of me, and I said, no, wait a minute, wait, wait. Well, I said, Lord, I think this is it. So, today we're going to look uh, for a few minutes of time we have together at, at uh, the, the book, the letters to Timothy. Uh, now, even though both First and Second Timothy begin like this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, and. 2 Timothy begins very similar. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, for the will of God according to the promise of the life, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now even though both of those books begin that way, there are several scholars, biblical scholars, who question whether or not, they speculate that maybe because of the things we read in there in the times that, 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 that Paul may not have been the writer. But folks, as far as I'm concerned, Paul wrote these letters to Timothy. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, they, they, they are Paul's letter to Timothy. And it's not hard and not difficult for us to determine why he wrote these letters to Timothy. 
Over in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 14, he said, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. In other words, if I read that correctly, what Paul is saying to young Timothy is, I want to give you some instructions of how folks in the church ought to behave. Do we ever need that? <laughs> Do we ever need a little instruction on how we ought to behave in the church? And, and while... Paul says several things. Now, one little verse of scripture about the church. For it seems to me that Paul is saying there that in his opinion, a church is a body of people who are friends with God and friends with each other. Now, that to me is a beautiful picture of the church. Beautiful picture. And he uses about four or five terms there very quickly. He says... How one ought to behave in the household of God. Now when you think of a household, what do you think about? A family. A family. Have you ever thought about the church as a family? My favorite kind of music is gospel music like Bill Gaither does, sung by trained voices. That's my kind of music. One of his songs says, you will notice we say brothers and sisters around here. It's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all shed the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. And then the chorus of that is so meaningful. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I am part of the family, the family of God. Now, we won't elaborate a whole lot on that just now, but wouldn't it be great if all our church people felt that way? And more importantly, lived that way we're all a part of the family of God and then he goes on to say which is the church of the living God that Greek word there is ekklesia which literally means a company of people who've been called out now that doesn't mean a company of people whom have been selected you'll be here and you'll be here and you'll be here no it's the people who have accepted God's invitation and call to be a part of his family that's what the church is supposed to be about. Then he talks about the pillar and bulwark of the truth. Now, now I think the idea here seems to be not only, you know, a pillar or a column supports the roof. That's one of the reasons it's there. But it's also attractive. My wife loves southern homes, the big old columns out front. Don't you? You just drive down the road. Oh, look at that house. Big old columns out front. See, building. Hey. The pillar will draw attention to, well, that's part of our job, folks, as a church, to draw attention to the church, to the truths of God. 
And then he talks about the bulwark, which has the idea of at all times holding up God's eternal truths for everyone to see. As our pastor has implied so often and so powerfully and meaningfully, it's not the church's duty to be politically correct, but to always hold up the truths of God's word. Amen. We ought to be very, very grateful to God because we're so fortunate to have a pastor who's not afraid to say, this is God's word, regardless of what the world around us says. So then, remembering that the letter to Timothy was written, these letters to Timothy was written, were written, to help us know how we ought to behave. Let's move on to that passage of scripture that reached out and grabbed a hold of me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there would come times of stress. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, prolificates, Fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a pretty bad litany of stuff, isn't it? That gets pretty graphic and, and, and a bit ugly. I, I, one commentator has written about those two or three verses of Scripture. Here is one of the most terrible pictures in the New Testament of what a godless world would be like. If it were not the word of God in the church, this is what the world would be like. And I thought, whoa, I think that's one reason. Reach out and grab me. We'll talk about some others. I believe Paul shares these words as a warning to Timothy and that early church, it's as if he were saying, beware lest you slip back into the ways of the godless society in which the church exists. Now you'll have to remember that Paul wrote these words to Timothy when the church was in its infancy. The life, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus wasn't too far removed in years from this. I, I, I was born in a house across the street from the church in Richlands, Virginia. Literally in, in, in the bedroom in the house across the street. A couple of weeks old, I was carried to the church on a pillow. I played in the church parking lot, in the churchyard. I mean, I grew up in the church, so I was not what you might say in a pagan society. We've had the church for hundreds of years. But remember, Paul was talking to Timothy at a time when the church had just started. And he was warning lest we slip back into those times. The Living Bible, my translation says, in the last days there will come times of stress. 
The Living Bible translation says, in the last days, it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Uh, that's stress, isn't it? It's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. Being a true follower of the Word will bring stress. So we must always be diligent lest we start believing and acting like the godless society around us. And folks, as I read that, I thought, well, I know Paul was writing way back years and years and years ago when the church had just been started in the pagan society, but are we a lot removed from that today? I, I think that still exists around us, doesn't it? It exists around us. Now he mentioned some 18, 19 different characteristics or qualities of godless, godlessness or a godless person or godless society. Let's, let's briefly look at, at that thing. Now he starts out, for men will be lovers of self. Now that's not by action he'd start there, folks. That's not by action he would, be, he would start with lovers of self. A life that is centered in self is the basic sin that I think we could say that basically all sin comes from selfishness. Think about that for a few moments. The moment we make our will and our desire the center of our life, all divine and human relationships are gone. If all we think about and dwell upon is ourselves and what we want and what we think, then we are in danger, real danger, of losing all divine in human relationships. I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that all sins begin in selfishness. So he starts out naming these different characteristics or qualities of godless life or godless person, godless society, lovers of self. Then lovers of money. You know anybody that loves money? <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe there's a few folks out there kind of Now money in itself is not evil. Don't, 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 don't think it is. Being a lover of money is. How many people do you know who judge success by what they have? Not who they are. Think about that. How many of us sometimes, oh, we just need such and such. Heck, I need a new house much smaller than one I'm living in. Anybody want to buy mine? <laughs> For a big price? <laughs> i got to add that. My wife said to me the other day, why don't we just sell it as is and get what we can out of it and go to a smaller place? <laughs> She said, as I came in all hot and drenched and sweaty from <laughs> cutting the grass and trimming the trees. Standard of success in life is not money, but we see so many folks, and sometimes I'm afraid we fall into that category of being lovers. Of then he goes on to say, uh, proud, then there's a comma, arrogant. But in Greek thought and in our thought, so often don't we add those two together? Proud, arrogant people. Now, 
there's a sense in which pride or being proud is, is good. It's a good thing. I'm proud of my children and grandchildren. I have been richly blessed because of what they have done for me and what I see them doing for others. I'm so proud of them. But we've got to be careful that pride doesn't take over. As you and I know, we are surrounded by people whose pride leads to arrogance. And you know, folks, I hate to say this, I've known a few preachers like that. Now, I can talk bad about them because I are one, okay? <laughs> Y'all can't. The Greek word here for proud and arrogant is A-L-A-Z-O-N, Alonzo. Uh, Ken, I know a little Greek. He owns Zestos in West Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> That word means and has been defined by Aristotle as the man or woman who pretends to have credible qualities that he does not possess or possess in lesser degree than he makes out like he's got. I think this is interesting. Cyrus, the Persian king, says the name Alzon seems to apply to those who pretend that they are richer than they are, are braver than they are, and to those who promise to do what they cannot do when it is evident that they do this only for the sake of getting something or making gain. It's this kind of spirit that leads a person to have a contempt for everyone but themselves. Now I'm going to refuse to get on my political soapbox but I don't know about you but I'm tired of the primaries and general election where everybody not just one party, not just one candidate, all come across as just proud and arrogant promising things that they know they can't do. I, I, I get you know, I want some candidate to stand up and say Here's what I would like to see happen, what I'm going to try to do, but I can't do it without God's help and your prayers and your help. Amen. I'd love to see somebody, I'd vote for them, I don't care whether they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Liberal, whoever. We don't see that, do we? But that's maybe a sign of our times, folks. I don't know about you, but... I, I'll be glad when we quit seeing all these things on TVs and ads and so much arrogance and pride and puffed up from everybody. Everybody, not just one or the other, but from everybody. Uh, this proud and arrogant spirit is not just in politics, but it sure is evident there, isn't it? It goes on to say, uh, proud, arrogant, abusive. I don't think he means here just somebody takes a whip and beats somebody. I think he means verbally, by word and deed, abusing folks. Then he goes on to say disobedient to their parents. You see any of that today, folks? 
I like what one commentator said. It is a sign of a supremely decadent society when youth loses respect for age and fails to recognize the unpayable debt it owes to those who gave it life. It's there. And that ties into the next thing he says. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. That speaks for itself. Don't we have so much of a problem with a thankless society? <laughs> Our neighbor's son, young man, had a lemonade stand out beside the house yesterday in that hot weather. And I kept hearing his mother say, say thank you, say thank you, when somebody bought some. Be sure to say thank you. How many times do you tell your children and grandchildren, say thank you? Uh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Moving on. He says, uh, unholy, which means no love for anyone but ourselves. Uh, the Living Bible translates that in human as hard-headed. He talks about in, implacable. That means no generosity toward others, no giving spirit, no desire to help others. Slanderers, he says, slanderers, that's liars, gossips. There are so many people who would think nothing of passing on a juicy story that could destroy somebody else's life without ever checking whether it's true or not. And then if it was true, it need to be said. A lot of good people would never think to steal from anybody, but they'll pass on a good bit juicy gossip that would destroy their reputation and take from them a good standing. Prolificates uncontrolled desire and passion. It talks about fierce and savage behavior, no sympathy or no, no uh, sensitivity. Haters of good good people and good things, treacherous, traitors for self-gain, conceited, <laughs> you know everybody's conceited. <laughs> One of the worst curses is a good talent because <laughs> you can get kind of conceited with that. Then it talks about lovers of pleasure. pleasure. Now like money, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. <coughs> I enjoy a good restful time just like anybody else. But when that becomes our all-consuming desire just to please ourselves in pleasure, uh, lay back on a bed of roses and let life go by, then we're in trouble. Again, selfishness comes in. Now, terrible as all these characteristics and qualities of the Christian life and going back to what I said a minute ago that Paul points out here in that early church and what they were dealing with we're still dealing with them today folks and perhaps more so because you learn about it with social media the TV media the radio and all so much more prevalent alright now wait a minute here comes a kicker so far we can say as we look at these terrible qualities or characteristics of a godless person or a world, and we conclude, let them sinners have it, Paul. Amen. Preach on, brother. Look at, let them have it. Tell them how terrible they are. 
But then he goes on to start meddling just a little bit. Verse 5 he says, holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it. Okay, now wait a minute. He got talking about Christian people. Living Bible says, they will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Oops. King James says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Ooh. He could start stepping on some toes if he's not careful. Paul's final condemnation and warning is of those people who retain or engage in the outward form of religion. They go to church. They recite the creeds. They pray the prayers. They give an offering. They sing a hymn. They listen to the preacher. They wear their best clothes. Smile their best smile. But deny the life changing power. Not simply of religion but primarily of faith in God. How many people are more personally how often have we gone through the external forms of worship and make no connection with the dynamic power of God that changes lives. We talk about these liturgical churches like the Catholic and the Episcopalians and all and we Baptists saying we don't have all that kind of stuff. We don't have those creeds to read those prayers. We've got our same liturgy in our churches. We do the same things. How many people come to our church every Sunday and have no concept that it's supposed to make a difference in how they live on Monday and the rest of the week. I mean, folks, Paul's pretty strong about that now. He's really strong about that. Uh, religion and church attendance has, has been looked upon as a good thing, and as it is, and, and it is. But it's far more than that. It should be a life-changing experience. Like I said, I grew up in the church. I was carried when I was a little baby. My mom and dad made sure I was in church every Sunday. But I needed to be changed. I needed to have that faith in God that made me a different person. To me, there is a big difference between religion or being religious and faith. I would much rather have the reputation as a, of a man of faith than as a religious person. I would much rather folks know me as a man of faith than as a religious person. Then Paul concludes this litany of the characteristic of the godless life with these words, avoid such people. Avoid such people. And folks, I'm going to add to this, don't be like these people. Don't be like these people. Very clearly he talks about what they're like. So the word should be, don't be like this people. There must be somehow or another a connection between what we hear at church with what we say we believe and how we live outside these walls, outside the church. And folks, 
I firmly believe we'll never have much of an impact on the godless society as described by Paul right here until we start living like children of God. Our pastor said it before, and he's so true. It's not the elected that's going to change the world. It's the electors. We're the ones. We're the ones. So there's got to be some connection between what we say we believe, what we do on Sunday, and how we live during the rest of the times. And folks, very quickly, in conclusion, and I'm trying to be careful, as bleak and as terrible as all of those things sound, as Christian people who have a strong abiding faith in God, we don't need to be hopeless or pessimistic. We don't need to be down and depressed because Paul says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I know I am sure he's able to guard until that day what he's entrusted to me. God will take care of his own. So we don't need to worry about what the world is like. We need to be worried about it to the extent that we do something about it. But as a child of God, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family of God. And someday, someday, and for many of us it may not be long, we'll be dwelling in eternity with God. Pray with me, will you please? Father, thank you so much for your word. Sometimes we hear it and go about our way as if nothing had changed. Impress upon us, Father, that your power in our life changes lives. And that it's up to us to show the world your truths. To stand firm, to be brave, to be bold for the way we live and the things we say and do. But do so in a loving, concerned spirit, Father. For that's how you've gotten to us through your precious love. As expressed so clearly in Jesus, your Son. Be with us now, Father, as we go into the worship service. Be with the choir as they sing so beautifully as they thrill our soul with our music. And Father, help us listen with open minds to your word as you speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Right on time. Well, look at that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>